So we have been in this series uh, through the summer that we're calling This We Believe. And, it, and what we're doing is we're looking at what do we believe to be true as a church? What are, what are the truths that we hold to uh, above all others? And, and in this series, we, we've had this kind of mini series over the last few weeks or so where we've, we've looked at what does it mean to be human? What do we as a church believe is true about every single person? And we started by going back to our origin, that all people, uh, starting with the first two humans, Adam and Eve, all people are created by God. But but not just merely given life and existence or or, or, or just that we we have a heartbeat and, and, and the ability to breathe, but that we were created intentionally and specifically. That all human beings are, are said that they're made in the image of God that we are made to be like God in some respects and we're made to represent him to the world. We're given this incredible task. At creation, God has put so much glory and honor and value in every single person. And yet things went wrong. That while God created us to to be with him, to to be near him, that, that every person is made to have this relationship with this God, that by the first sin and by all sins that have happened, that, that by Adam and Eve turning away from God, by every single person turning away from God, that that relationship with God that we were meant for has been fractured. That, that all of us have, have uh, turned away from what he said to do. All of us have thought that we knew better than him, that we could do better than him. And in turning away from him, the, the God that we were made to be with, who's given us every good thing, who's given us value and purpose and identity, that relationship has been fractured. And since then, that image that was made, that we were made in, well, it's been marred due to sin. And in fact, uh, we, we, not only has our relationship with God been fractured, but about all relationships, even ourselves, the, the questions that we have of what are we to do? What, what are we meant for? What, what's, what's the purpose of any of this? These, these questions come because of a, a fractured relationship with the God we are meant to be with. Relationships with other people is, is difficult. The impact that it's had on work, which is designed to be a good thing. Very rarely are we going home from work at, at the end of the day saying, this was exactly what work was supposed to be. This was perfect. It's so much of this world that we look at and we say is wrong, that, that we say is not good with disease and disasters and whatever it might be, all, all bear the marks of sin. That's what Romans 5 talks about. Through sin has come into the world from one man's sin and every person's sin ever since. And yet what we hold to as the beauty of the gospel, what we say is the best news that there possibly could be is that the story doesn't end there. Instead, what we see is this incredible word at the start of Romans 5, 15. That as we're talking about sin has come into this world, verse 15 says, but. That while all of this that we have seen has has been fractured and broken, we are separated from God, but. That we turned away from him and and yet uh, this God that we so desperately needed to be uh, in relationship with, this image of God that he's put in all of us is a mere shadow of what it was meant to be, but. Everything is coded and covered by sin, but, but God did not leave us in that place. That that is what we hold to as, as the best of news, the gospel that we turn to and we trust in, that God did not leave us in that place. In our statement of faith, this document that contains what we believe to be true as a, as, as a church, it gets to this idea. As we talk about how we were made, as we ter- talk about how all of us have turned away from this God, but 
we get to this beautiful phrase at the very end. It says that only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. We who are people are so desperate for rescue, for reconciliation and renewal. We can find that because of God's saving work in Jesus Christ. That by his work on the cross, by him being faithful while we had not been, while him, him paying the punishment for, for our sins despite never sinning himself, that by him going and laying down his life, we can have life through him. And this idea is talked about in, in Romans chapter 15, uh, Romans chapter 5 as it continues in verse 15. As we said, it says, but, but the free gift is not like the trespass, is not like the sin. While we look at Adam and Eve as they turn away from God, as we look at all humans ever since Adam and Eve as, as they've turned away from God, what God is offering in, in return, the free gift that he offers is not like that sin. It's not like any sin ever since. It, it does beg the question, though, if it's not like sin, if it's not like the trespass, how, how is it different? Like, if we say that something is, is different from uh, something else, well, that could mean that it's, it's better or, or it could mean that it's worse. Like if I'm, I'm describing a restaurant and, and I'm saying, man, the appetizer was so terrible, but the meal w was totally different. I can go either way, right? The, the appetizer was awful, but the meal, well, I'm more than made up for it. Or instead, we could say the appetizer was awful, but it was the meal that led to my hospitalization. So how is the free gift that's offered to us different from the trespass? What is it that's different? Well, as we continue reading in the verse, it says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, if sin has come because of death, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. There's a lot of clauses in this, and they're all really important, but we can essentially narrow this sentence down to this. The free gift is not like the trespass, for death came from trespass, but much more by the grace of God has abounded for many. Grace has abounded for many that through sin we see all that's broken in this world and yet through Jesus we see restoration as possible. That, that through sin we see death, spiritual and physical death coming into this world which plagues every single person. And yet through Jesus we see life available. Through sin there's, there's hopelessness and despair and feeling lost and, and pain and suffering in this world and yet through, through Jesus we have so much good that we can hold on to. Through sin has come the fracturing of relationship and yet through Jesus comes him laying down his life so that restoration uh, can, can happen in relationship. Jesus pays the price for our sins. Uh, the, the author of Romans, Paul, finishes this idea out as he gets to uh, verses 18 through 19. He says, since this, this free gift is so much better than the trespass, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, all men, since all are, are guilty of sin, and the result of that, the punishment of that, is, is earned because of sin. So one act of righteousness, through Jesus being faithful, leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So, uh, uh, so the law, uh, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we see is that by Jesus coming, by the faithfulness he showed, by him willingly laying down his life, we move from the sin which so plagues this world to now the grace which is offered freely. We, we move from, from this death that was, was uh, the result of sin to now Jesus laying down his life so that life could be on hand. We see the despair of sin replaced by the beauty of grace here. And yet it goes so much more than that. What it's saying here is not just that Jesus accounts for our sins, that all of us have turned away from God. All of us have thought that, that we knew better, that we could do better than him. All of us have, have rejected the great things that he's given us in pursuit of other things. All of us have turned uh, aside from the, uh, the way that he's given to us. This God who created us and gave us identity and glory and honor and value, we've sought those things elsewhere. And while all of us have done that, the only just result, the only right punishment, when there is wrongdoing, the only just result is punishment. And the result of that is death. And yet what we see here is that Jesus lays down his life, paying that punishment on our behalf. But, but he, doesn't just, he doesn't just wipe our slate clean. It's not merely an erasing of, of where we've gone astray, as if we then go and, and never go astray ever again after that. Jesus goes beyond that. He talks about how through one man, sin has entered into this world, and through one man's faithfulness, we are counted, credited as faithful. A couple weeks ago, uh, John was here visiting from the Boulder campus, and he was talking about who is this Jesus and how he's fully God and fully man. And we talked about since he's fully God, what is this Jesus do? Well, he's do all honor and glory and worship. He is God. And because he came and he died for us in this way, what he is due, what he is rightfully his, he credits to us. He takes away our sins, yes, but credits to us his righteousness, what he is due. And it's because of that that we come up here and we, we don't just say Jesus has saved you, but he does more than that. We say he's rescued you. He's brought reconciliation. He's brought renewal. Not just wiping a slate clean, but crediting to you what is his by right. Those are the three words that we have in our doctrinal statement. Rescue, reconciled, and renewed. And, and so we're gonna spend our time this morning looking at those three words. What is it that Jesus does? Not just offering us salvation and forgiveness, but crediting to us what is his by right. And so we'll look at the first one. We are rescued by Jesus. Not just saves us, but he, rescue, uh, he goes beyond that in his rescue. So what does he rescue us from? Uh, in Romans 6, verse 14, which might be on the very next page for you, or maybe even like me, it's on the very same page. Romans 6, 14 says this. It says, for, uh, for sin will have no dominion rulership, reign. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So when we talk about that Jesus has rescued us, it's not just, it's not just from sin, but he's, he's rescued us from the dominion of sin. The, the Bible might 
call this elsewhere, bondage to sin. The idea is that all of us are so shackled to sin that there's nothing for us to do other than sin. And, and maybe we, we see that in our lives. Like we, we'll, we'll have some good times in there, but it always seems like we keep going back to those same things. The, the parts of our lives that we don't like, that, that even if we don't realize it, we, we recognize, ah, we're, we're going down that well-worn path towards things that, that I wish I wasn't doing with my life. That, that when there, there's a moment of silence in, in, at home, the thoughts go or actions go the same place they always do. It, it feels like no, no matter how hard I try, I keep going back to the same sins over and over again. That's the idea of bondage to sin. Now, we talked last week about how this isn't something that we particularly like talking about. That, that sin isn't the, the, best, the best topic of conversation to, to get our joy really, really going. And, and I think one of the reasons why we don't particularly like it is it, is it runs in the face of, of, of freedom. If you were to ask people in our culture, what does it mean to be free? What, is, what does freedom look like? And it essentially boils down to uh, being able to do what I want, when I want. And that's what we, we might say freedom is in our culture. And then when you have the Bible come in, there's a lot of don't do this thing, do this thing instead. And that sure seems to fly in the face of do what I want when I want to do it. And so as we're talking about sin, it, it seems to go against what we feel the idea of freedom is. And freedom is a, an important topic in our country, in our culture. And yet the picture that, that the Bible offers of freedom is one that's different. The idea is that no one is doing what they want when they want. That all people are in bondage to sin. That we all continue to come back to it. That, that there's nothing that we can do but sin. I, I mean, sure, we could do good here and there, but never enough to make things right between us and God. It just seems to always be going back to those things that we wish wasn't in our life. I feel you, Max. I feel you. So the idea is, the, the, what the Bible's presenting is, all of us are in bondage to sin. Uh, the idea is, is like this. As we're, as we're saying freedom is, uh, I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it. Uh, but the, the picture that we have is instead can be kind of summarized as this. Um, imagine jumping out of a plane. And as we're, as we're in the air, that, that rushing sensation, like some people talk about how that's the greatest feeling of freedom in the world. And, and you're, and you're uh, able to do all kinds of sweet flips and spins and poses, whatever you want to do. And, and that might feel like the epitome of freedom. Nothing's infringing on me to being able to do whatever I want. And yet we're still plummeting to the ground. We're not free from gravity in that moment. That we might shout out that, that nothing can tell me what to do, but that doesn't stop our falling. And that's the idea that we have here is, is are we truly free if we are in bondage? Are we truly free if, if, if there's nothing for us to do but to sin? And yet, while we might say that we are free to spin and move our arms, it doesn't stop our falling. Instead, what we have here is that Jesus rescues us offers us true freedom. It offers us the ability to do anything but continually turn back to those same old sins, those same old things that we wish weren't part of our lives, and instead be able to turn to, to anything else, that we might be able to turn to the God that we are made to be with, then him we have true freedom and grace and mercy and life.
But we're also rescued as well, we're told, uh, from the cost of sin. Romans 6 will go on later to say, the wages of sin, the cost of sin is death. That this is the God of the universe who has given us life and all that we have. And by turning away from him, by, by claiming to do what, uh, the, uh, claiming that we know better, that we can do better, that's trying to take God's role of being God and being God over our own life. That's, that's a coup. And by doing this, the, the only just response, the only right punishment for, for a crime that big is death. And yet Jesus rescues us not just from the bondage of sin, but from the cost of sin. That, that by him coming, by him living in the way he's done, by him dying and being raised again, the ledger statement has a stamp on it that says paid in full. All debt's paid. Nothing else is owed because Jesus has rescued us from that cost of our sins. The next word that we have is reconciled, that through Jesus, we are reconciled. And, and reconciliation has, has uh, a sense to two different sides of a relationship being brought back together again. So maybe we'll talk about countries are reconciled. After uh, something happened in their past where there was no communication between them, no trade happening on, but now they've, they've been able to reconcile their differences and, and work together once again. Or, or maybe we have someone in our life that we were really close with at one point. They were a good friend to us, but then there was a falling out. And, and, we, and we are looking forward to the day. Or, or maybe we're just stuck dreaming about the day when there might be reconciliation, when we might be brought together once again. Now, the thing with reconciling relationships, though, is it's really hard. It, it, takes, it takes two things to happen. One, there needs to be an admission of wrongdoing. Uh, you can't really make a relationship come back together if, if one party was hurt in there and the other party just refuses to acknowledge that. I don't see what I did wrong. Like, why, is the, why are you making a big deal about this? That's not going to be a good relationship if there can't be a, a firm foundation to build upon. There needs to be an admission of wrongdoing. But the other side of that is, is when there is that, that wrongdoing, when a relationship has been broken, there's a cost that goes into fixing that again. That relationship was damaged and now there's something has to be paid up. And that could be done by the person who did the wrong. Like, I, I, I broke your trust, I, I hurt you, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make things right. I have to pay down this cost. Or it could be paid by the person who was wronged. That I'm choosing to forgive you. I'm choosing to trust you. This takes something from us to do that. I'm choosing to do that for the sake of the relationship. Now, as we've been saying, there's nothing that we can do to reconcile that broken relationship between us and God. The cost is too great. This is the God of the universe that we have turned against. There's nothing that we can produce. There's, there's nothing that we can do to put the pieces back together. And yet what we see is Jesus fully God, coming and taking that cost on our behalf, paying down that wrongdoing, absorbing that relational hit so that reconciliation could be possible. There's nothing that we can pay to make it right. Uh, Romans 5 uh, opens up by saying this very thing. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. So there's nothing in us that can make peace, the reconciliation between us and God. And so God came and made peace between us. God paid down that broken, uh, paid down what was needed to make that broken relationship reconciled. That because of him, by Jesus coming, by living the life of faithfulness that we'd never have, by dying this death so that we can have life, in him we have reconciliation with us and the God we are made to be with. Now, as it talks about that we have peace with him, that, that might, uh, often we think about peace as the sense uh, that we have within us. This this feeling that, that we might have. Like, you know, things are, things are feeling really good between God and me today, so, so I must be at peace. But this is talking more than a feeling. This is a state of being. You are in a state of being at peace with God. Because as long as it's true that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins, then it will always be true that you are at peace with God. There's no brokenness of that relationship. It has been reconciled because of who this Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, the final word that we have is the word renewed. That while Jesus has come and he's, he's paid the price for our sins and he's also credited to us what, is, what, what he is due, because of that, we can be renewed. Not just forgiven, but renewed as well. In Ephesians chapter four, uh, you don't have to turn to it. I will, I will read it for us. Ephesians four, verse 22 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Who we are before is so shaped and identified by sin. Put off the old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So the thing about sin, and we talked about this last week, sin is all encompassing. It has a way to seep in and soak into every part of who we are that every part of our body is, is covered and, and coated in sin. That, that every, every aspect, of, oh, every thought that we might have, every emotion, every system that we put in place, all that is in creation has been affected by sin. The thing about sin is once it's in, it's in. And that there's nothing that we could do to cover it up or, or wash it off or, or anything like that. Sin has, an, it has the ability, the pesky ability to get into everything and everywhere. And, and we have this understanding that we, we see this in our lives that, that eventually we get to a point to where repair is no longer possible. That just trying to fix things and mend things, that, that's not gonna do the trick anymore. So we have a t-shirt with this giant stain on it and we can wash it with, with different practices. We could take it to a professional that, that as we try again and again to get the stain out, if it's not coming out after multiple times, it's, it's not coming out. In fact, we could be doing more damage by trying over and over to get it out. It can't be repaired. It, when there's a car accident, after all the, the work that's done off of it, the new pieces that have to come into it, after a while, you get to a point to where that's not the same car as it was anymore. It's completely swapped out. It's been replaced. And we could talk about knee surgeries. And you could have knee surgery after knee surgery, but after a while they stop going to doing repair work and instead talk about knee replacement. There's an idea that we have that, that repair just doesn't get it done after a while, that there needs to be something replaced, something new being done. And that's the idea that we have here. 
that as we say that, that sin has an, an ability to impact everything, so what we need is a new everything. And that's what Jesus offers. Not just a covering of sin, a wiping a blank slate, but giving us a whole new slate, a whole new self. Ephesians 4 says to take off the old self. To, we don't have to use the same broken parts anymore and instead put on the new self through the renewal that's offered for, through Jesus. That our fix is so great of a problem that we need a new everything. Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen says something similar. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed are being renewed, made new into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Well, how is this possible? How can we do such a thing? How can there be this renewal work? That's not something that we can do ourselves. Maybe we can talk about how we need to work on parts of ourselves. There's this part of us that, that ah, we don't really like. I, I wish I was less angry or I wish I reacted less in this way. I wish I was more kind or more gracious. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to work on that part of myself. And yet sin gets into everything. How do we work on every part all at once? Well, we can't do it. When, when the problem so permeates through all of us, how do we fix any part of us? It's kind of like trying to do open heart surgery on ourselves. It just doesn't work that way. How does this renewal happen? How do we take off the old self and put on the new self? Well, I sneakily cut off part of that verse. We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This comes from the Lord. We who are in such need of rescue, who find ourselves going back to the same sins over and over again, unable to pay the cost of sin ourselves, we have been rescued for this comes from the Lord. We who have broken this relationship between us and God, we can't possibly mend things. We can't make things go right. We can't absorb that relational cost ourselves, but we have been reconciled for this comes from the Lord. We who uh, see the effects of sin in every part of our lives, everything that we could create, everything that has been created, how can we have a whole new everything for this comes from the Lord? That in him there is rescue, reconciliation, and renewal. That, that we have not just been saved from our sins, but we have been credited as what is rightfully Jesus's, that we receive his righteousness, we receive his status, that we receive this glory and honor that's fit only for him. We receive the status of that of a son given on us. Hey, and it's to that that I wanna uh, finish our time on. We, we spent so much time two weeks ago talking about how we were made as people, made in the image of God. How God has uniquely and specifically made you. That he's given you glory and honor. That he's given you purpose. He's given you the ability to, to be like him in some regards. He's given you the incredible work of representing him to this world. And yet that was broken. And But what we find in this Jesus through what he's done, through who he is, that this image of God that we are made, that too has been rescued. That the difference between how we were made to be and how we are now, well, that has been reconciled. 
That this image of God that's in every single person that has been marred because of sin, well, that has been renewed because of Jesus. Uh, we, we read in Colossians 1.15, it, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image. He is the picture of how humans were always supposed to be. Romans 8.29 tells us that as we follow Jesus, we are being conformed. We are made new in the image of this son. That by following him, we are becoming more and more how God made us always to be. That there in Jesus is a restoration of purpose, of identity, of dignity that's restored in us. That because of this Jesus, uh, that we see his faithfulness, that enables us to be faithful in God in, in turn. But, but not only that, to desire to be faithful to this God. That restoration is possible. The dignity is restored. As we see more of this Jesus, we see more of who God made us to be. I love that verse in Romans 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. That as we look at this world and the effects that sin has on us, that the free gift has exceeded it greatly. See, before we were isolated and broken and unable not to sin, but now we have been given freedom. The free gift is not like the trespass. See, before there, there was no end to our sin. It kept going and going and going. And yet what we see in this free gift that we cannot out the mercy that's given to us. That there's no cost that we can create in us that's too big that Jesus can't possibly pay. That there's nothing that we can do that, that causes us to be too far gone. The free gift is not like the trespass. See, while we had earned our punishment, all of us had turned away from God, there is nothing that we did to earn the salvation, and yet here is salvation, freely given. The free gift is not like the trespass. Not just the covering of sins, but the being credited of what's rightfully Jesus' being given life and hope and direction, all freely given. Jesus has changed everything. Or perhaps it's more accurate to say Jesus has restored everything. That all that we unraveled with sin has been reassembled. All that we have broken has been built back up even greater than before. All that we had earned has been forgiven and then some. All that, that we, uh, we might use in this life to identify us. Uh, that we hold as valuable, that, that we place our, our, our hopes and trust into, all that we have in this world that we might grab as something that identifies us. Maybe it's a job, that while sin has impacted work, that there's still the job that I'm doing, that's the thing that drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. Maybe it's the, the family that we have, the relationships that we have, or, or possessions, money, a house, whatever it might be, uh, um, um, a mentality that we take into each day, whatever it is that we hold on to is this is my truth. This is my identity marker. What we find is that it crumbles, that it doesn't satisfy, that it leaves us hurting more. It doesn't always fulfill us in the way that we hope. Whatever we might grab onto as our reason for our identity, our, our purpose in this life, whatever it is that we have, it has been greatly surpassed by this Jesus. The, the identity that we are given because of him, 
has been replaced as we are counted righteous by Jesus' righteousness. Instead, we are told this. This is who we are told we are. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This is the identity that we are given because of Jesus says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, this is that free gift. That gift that we didn't earn, we couldn't possibly have earned this. This, this gift that, that we couldn't make happen, and there's no reason to make it happen because this has already happened for you. You had not received mercy, but now you have. You were in darkness, but now you've been called into marvelous light. You were not a people, but now you are. This is who God says you are because of Jesus. And so what we do in response to this, the lives that we live is all because of how incredible we see this free gift to be. That we repent and we believe in him. We, we live lives following after him, not out of some obligation, not out of some way of earning, but because this is who we are called because of Jesus. And there's so much more that we could say. There's so much more that we could focus on uh, about what Jesus has done for you and for me. That, that this free gift has been given. The grace of Jesus is one that not just gives us a clean slate, but counts us with what Jesus is due, what is rightfully his. I mean, we, we could expand on this for hours, which I'm sure you'd be excited to do with me. That as we talk about how Jesus rescues us, and we did that just so briefly, we can go on and on about how incredible it is that he's rescued us. As we talk about the reconciliation that he brings, we can, we can marvel at the fact that Jesus has paid, uh, paid the cost for us to be brought again to the God of the universe. As we talk about renewal, how incredible is it that this new self is, is available, this new purpose and identity is given because of Jesus let alone all that we didn't get a chance to talk about. That we could talk about how Jesus rescues, or how Jesus redeems us, restores us, represents and ransoms us. We could spend time talking about how Jesus saves and substitutes and secures, how he transforms, how he atones and assures, how he forgives us and justifies us. We could spend so much time talking about how he models life for us. By Jesus living in the way he did, he shows us how we are able to live. And yet, he also provides for us to be able to live in that way. We could even talk about the fancy words that Jesus does for us, how he intercedes and propitiates and expiates for us. We could talk about how he reigns, that Jesus triumphs with us and for us. We can spend so much time talking about how this is the God of the universe that we can call friend. There's so much more that we could talk about who this Jesus is, what is true of him, and therefore what is true of you. But there's also so much less that we could say and still get to the beauty of what Jesus has done. And as we've been spending this time asking the question, what does it mean to be human? We could have just landed where the former London preacher, Charles Spurgeon, landed. 
He said, the whole of my, my entire theology can be condensed into four words. Jesus died for me. As we're looking, what does it mean to be human? Who are you? What is your purpose? What is your identity? Well, nothing answers that question more than four words. Jesus died for you. That all of what we do, all of this life that we have is full of marvel at that truth, discovering more and more what four simple words can mean and living out of the reality that Jesus died for me. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you saw us as creatures who rebelled and turned away from you and yet you did not give up. You did not leave us in that space. You do not still look at us as those who turned aside, but instead you look to us with all that is due to Jesus, that by him coming, his faithfulness in life, him dying the death that was ours by right, him giving life to us, that you see us not as former failures, but as current sons and daughters that you see us with life eternal, with all the glory and honor we were made to have, with the identity and purpose and future that's available because of Jesus. That we live the lives that we have now because you laid down yours. That we have a hope of a future because you have given that to us. That we identify ourselves around the, uh, the idea that you died for us because it's only there that we find a foundation, that we find something that lasts, that we find something that's true and real. Let us live lives in response to that. There's nothing that we can do to earn salvation, nor do we need to, you've given it. There's nothing that we could do to earn your favor, nor do we need to, you've given it. Instead, we live lives in response to the incredible truth that you, God, died for us. So it's to you that we pray, amen.